This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers and technical professionals who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to Ken McCumber as part of what I've been calling our Game Changing Career Moves series. And if you haven't heard one of these episodes yet, basically I surveyed about 10,000 engineers and asked them what's the one thing that they did in their career to drive the most advancement or the most progress. And with Ken in this episode, we'll be talking about a bunch of things, but his one thing that he did was to become sales oriented as an engineer. So I dig into that with him in this interview. And then in the Take Action Today segment, at the end of the show, I'm going to give you one simple tip for being really good at sales. And I know that's difficult for us as engineers and technical professionals, but I believe that being sales oriented means everything. Because if you can sell ideas, sell business, you can sell anything, you're going to be successful in your career. So before we get into the main segment of our episode, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. I have some exciting news. PPI, our exclusive exam prep podcast sponsor, is giving away $100 Amazon gift cards every month to my listeners. For more information on how to qualify, make sure to listen to my announcement later on in this episode. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode so you get to know a little bit more about him before we dive into the conversation. Ken McCumber had a unique set of talents pertaining to project management, engineering, design, management, and managing the workflow of various projects. Ken has the ability to communicate at all levels of management and staff positions and understands and manages project life cycles. He has the willingness to do what it takes to get a project completed on time and budget and provides infrastructure slash facilities consulting and design for public transportation authorities. Ken's currently working on the Downeaster Amtrak layover facility in Brunswick, Maine, providing MEP design and building design coordination. He's responsible for the CAD production and coordination of over 800 drawings for MEP and architectural finishes for the new 2nd Avenue Midtown Tunnel Project and the rehabilitation of three existing tunnels between Norfolk and Portsmouth, Virginia. All right, now I want to jump right into our main segment without a quote today because our guest brought his own quote to start with. All right, now it's time for the main segment of our episode, and I'm pretty excited today to welcome in Ken McCumber. Ken, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thank you, Anthony, and it is indeed a pleasure to talk with you and help everyone else who is endeavored to make a path for their career better for themselves. Absolutely. Ken and I have uh, connected quite some time ago, I guess, through some of the work that I was doing, and we've got to meet in Boston and get to know each other kind of here and there over the years. So it's good to finally get him on the podcast. And this, of course, is part of this special game-changing career move series that I'm doing where I reached out to our mailing list and asked, you know, what is the one thing that you've done to that has really made a big impact on your career? And we're going to get into Ken's thing in a second here. But I think, Ken, you said you wanted to start it off with a quote. Is that right? Yes, I do. 
And the quote is as follows. It's from our, my famous friend, the golfer, Arnold Palmer, who passed away last year. It says, the most rewarding things you do in life are often the ones that look like they cannot be done. And in the engineering world, I have a kind of a corollary to that that says, we do things so difficult that others can't even imagine doing them. You know, in our world, it's, people are just mesmerized by what we can do. Every day I look around, I drive through the city, I see projects I've worked on. I'm still astounded at my age about what we've accomplished as an engineering concept. It's wonderful. So, Ken, that's a great way to get started. Why don't you start by telling the audience what you identified as this most important action that you took in your career? And then once you do that, I'm also going to ask you to explain a little bit about your career and your journey here. So go ahead. Start off with the one action that you told me what it was. The most important action that I did, and, and I only regret I didn't do it earlier, but you can't go back. The most important action that I did was when I was doing consulting with different clients, I became sales-oriented. And what I mean sales-oriented, I mean sales-oriented in what is traditionally a non-sales-oriented environment. In a typical engineering office, people are doing work. They're all task-oriented. A lot of them are in their own silos, which is a whole other discussion there. But what I realized is that when you're working within a team, whether it's your own team or part of a, a big group, and there's about 200 people here in Boston for WSP at the moment, I realized that you have to be literally an ongoing consulting salesperson. And what that would do for you as an engineer is, frankly, you always get work. And once I learned that I could sell my own abilities above and beyond anybody in the office, I frankly was never lacking for work. I learned to say yes to people and figure it out after. I'd be walking down the hallway and I'd hear a conversation about borings for a project. I'd chime in and mention something, information I had about doing 3D modeling. Lo and behold, I had a week's worth of work for a proposal for a client in New Jersey. And once I learned that attitude of being in kind of an ongoing sales and selling yourself all the time, frankly, I've never looked back. I've always had work. And it's been a monumental change of the way I, what I do and how I do it. That's great. And I want to just want to emphasize Ken's point there, not just the fact that he became sales oriented, but the example he just gave is a great one. Because a lot of times when people talk about being sales oriented, being able to get business, you might think about going out of your firm and bringing in projects and business. And, and that's certainly considered business development. And that's certainly going to be a game changer for you. But even as Ken mentioned, within your own company, letting people know your skills, your expertise, and all of a sudden people start to come to you for that expertise. And again, that's a way of changing your career. That's the way of driving value. You're only valuable if people know the value you can provide and they come and seek it from you. So unless you sell that, then all the skill sets that you've built up aren't necessarily going to return anything for you or your company. Right, Ken? That's correct. That's dead on. If people don't know what you're good at, how are they going to come to you? How are they going to approach you? And that's a big part of what we try to teach engineers is that it's absolutely true that you need to build up some skill sets that you can then leverage, but you also need to get visible around those skills, whether it's speaking at conferences, talking, writing articles, or just doing things within your company, brown bag lunch, talking to people. These are things that are really important. You need to, to get that word out there. Ken, let's dive in a little bit. And before we jump into some of the points that you and I had identified as important to go over here, just talk a little bit about your career journey, because I think it's a little different than a lot of engineers that might be in a working for a corporation. 
like you are right now? When I was nine years old, I wanted to go to school at UC Berkeley, wanted to be a civil engineer, wanted to learn how the Golden Gate Bridge was built. By the time I was 22, I'm standing up on top of the Golden Gate Bridge on the top of the tower, I might add, from an ASCE field trip, taking photographs, looking down at the roadway 500 feet below, looking over at Cal Berkeley across the bay and saying to myself, I've made my goals over the last 13 years. That's how I started. So I went to work from there for Procter & Gamble as a project engineer, where they taught me everything I needed to learn about project management in three months or less. I was on a big job for three years, learned how to do things from beginning to end, from the moment of concept right down to the final closeout of the budgets for the project. At that point, I wanted an inkling, so I traveled overseas, and I lived in Johannesburg for five years, where I was learned about design-build the hard way. It was the early days of design-build. I worked for a design-build firm where we actually employed the designers, engineers, hired the contractors, and did what we call true turnkey construction activities for our clients. And that was a wonderful opportunity there. I then came back to the States, moved to Boston, where I got involved with computer-aided design, and I became a consultant for computer-aided design companies. Went on my own, actually, in 1987 at the ripe old age of 32. Started my own consulting business and was originally selling CAD software, and then all my clients wanted me to come in and do work for them, which is when I realized at a personal level, I was much better at doing things and selling services versus selling objects. So I started doing consulting at that point, and I've never looked back. Over that time period of 27 years, I've worked with various companies as a consultant, everything from drafting up to project management. That's where my sales skills came in, where I learned, you know, like we talked about earlier, you go in and you just sell. You sell your abilities, you sell your team, you sell your knowledge to your clients, you exude confidence with them. And then about uh, three years ago, I've been working with WSP now for almost 14 years, and I took the full-time position here, which was a bit of a change for me. But from a career standpoint, it was something that I felt was right at the time, good transition for myself and my family. And so I've been working here now for three years as a project engineer, CAD manager, workflow manager, and project manager all in one. I always love speaking with Ken because to me, a lot of what Ken has done in his career is what I try to preach to engineers doing, which is basically learning how to build up a skill, learning how to sell it, and then having opportunities at your fingertips. In other words, Ken had the decision to go and work where he is now after doing things that he wanted to do for a long time. And he's still there now because he wants to be. My point is, is that he's given himself enough skill sets and he's been able to sell those skill sets. So now he can kind of do the things that he wants to do. And I think that that's, if you put those two things together, it can create a pretty awesome career as I'm sure can attest to. But Ken, one thing just for the audience, you mentioned that you started your own firm at 32 years old. You also mentioned earlier that you know becoming sales-oriented was one of the best things you did in your career. When in the timeline did you start to become sales-oriented, just for point of reference? I started really when I was doing design-build in Johannesburg, because as a contract manager, you had to sell your client on change orders. And I found that it was rather easy to go in and sell a client on something that they want at a reasonable price. That's when I learned the goal of what we do in this business is passing the confidence of, and knowledge to your client. If you can sell that, 
you can kind of get what you want because you're giving them what they want. I learned that when I was like 30 years old. And I think it's a huge thing because a lot of engineers, what I notice is they might do something on a project that saves the client a lot of money, but the engineer just sees it as their job and they neglect to make the clients aware of it. Not that you have to go around bragging to your clients, but just so you know, we were specking out this different material because it's going to end up saving you $50,000. We're doing some value engineering. So when you think of sales, it's not like, I know when someone says the word sales, sometimes like different things can come to mind, but it's really they making your value aware to people, like we said earlier, so that they understand it, they appreciate it, and builds up some leverage for you to do other things. So just kind of keep that in mind, I think, as we go through the conversation. So Ken, we're going to walk through some points here that we talked about. First one, talk a little bit about enjoying the role of engineer at this stage in your life in your 60s. When I turned 60, I was in Las Vegas, and I'm playing golf with my son-in-laws. And I get back to the hotel room, I'm looking down, we were at the Bellagio, I'm looking down at the fountain, and I'm, I'm looking at how they built the darn thing. And I'm saying to myself, my role now is not necessarily to go down and design the pipes and design the pool opening and design do, do, do the construction management. My role now is to provide to the people doing the work what they need to know from a kind of a global standpoint, how they work with people, how they deal with the client. How do they deal with problems with working with other people? How to do team building? Suddenly, like just these big flashing lights came to me that said, hey, this is what I need to do now at this time of my career. Anybody can teach someone how to design a beam. Not everyone can teach them how to sell that beam design to their client. And that's where I've kind of converted over now from the technical to the, for lack of a better term, to the spiritual side of it. You wouldn't always know it as a young engineer, but the two kind of need each other to operate. If you can't sell it to the client, I mean, yes, you have to design it because if you don't design it, you don't have it. But if you can't sell the design, then essentially you don't have it. So they really need each other. Yeah. And a little, little quick line that I remember from my past is telling is not selling. That's right. I try to always tell engineers, you have to communicate the benefits of something to someone in order to get them interested in it, as opposed to just trying to shove it down someone's throat, so to speak. Here's what it is, and this is why it's great. Talk a little bit about this idea of creating reverse mentoring with younger engineers. One of the things I'm trying to do here at WSP is, you know, in a traditional mentor relationship, a new person comes in, they get a, a seasoned person that kind of helps show them the ropes. I had one early in my career. I've had one at numerous places. Frankly, I still have a mentor now, unofficially, you know, someone that's younger than me. So it occurred to me that in this day and time, you've got a whole different breed of people coming in. You know, the millennials have a whole different mindset from the things that I did at that age. And it occurred to me that rather than in the traditional mentor relationship, you have pretty much a one-sided thing. Here's how things are run here. Here's what you need. Here's the people, etc. That you start doing it two-way where I will share my side. I will provide the guidance to younger people. And one of the things, by the way, in my study is I always ask some of the young people if they really want to hear my stories before I tell them. In exchange for that, I want them to explain to me a couple of things. One is, what's the best way to teach you what I know? And secondly, what can you teach me that I don't know? And it might be something as simple as using an app on the phone. I mean, I have a phone. I'm, I'm pretty versed on it. But I know the kids now know a lot more than I do. I'm willing to admit that. 
The difference between me and I think other people my age is I'm willing to learn anything I can. And they're willing to show that if they create value in a mentor relationship, it's a good exchange rather than just being one-sided. I love that concept. And actually, I say that to my oldest kid, my daughter, all the time. I tell her, I mean, she's only 10, but I tell her, keep an open cup, meaning there's always room to fill your cup. You could always take in knowledge. You don't know everything, no matter how old you are. Of course, she's 10. She thinks she knows everything. But especially someone like Ken, who's at that age where he's had so much experience to be able to maintain that mindset, I'm always willing to learn what can you teach me is great because quite frankly, he's spot on with what he's saying is that every age level or experience level has something different to offer. And some of the younger people are maybe have some more, a little more savvy on some of the tech stuff, but some of the people in Ken's position have done a lot of sales. They know how projects work. And so you put these things together, the more of these things you can add to your own knowledge base, it's just going to give you, again, more opportunity and you're going to have more skills, more ability to kind of thrive in this, in any economy, really. So I love that idea. So I talk a lot on the podcast about taking a step back, looking at the big picture in your career and trying to always have a big picture awareness. Can you talk about this idea of big picture awareness in the project cycle? I have another one-liner here for you. It says, how do we do something so difficult that others can't imagine doing it? You know, we talked about that earlier. When you get a big-picture approach, you tend to just look at the whole job. And I've worked on multi-billion dollar projects. I've worked on Big Dig. I'm working on LaGuardia right now as an example. Remember, a big tunnel project. What I've learned is you have to appreciate the magnitude of what you're doing, and you have to then understand what your role in that is. So you have to have a big picture, but you also have to chime down to your piece of the action. As I always say, a big project is literally smaller things brought together. So if you take a big project, understanding the whole magnitude of it, and then breaking it down into simple little pieces and knowing what your role of that small picture is, you kind of get a better grasp of what the job entails, how it gets built, and what your involvement is. So you always feel like you're part of the whole team even though you've only got maybe at one point a small piece of it. Yeah, I agree. I think this is such an important thing for engineers, the balance between the, the details and the big picture, because we know how important the details are in engineering. I feel kind of along with what you just said, is that if you as an engineer can maintain a big picture approach and keep your eye on the details, that's how you're going to really succeed because it's just really difficult to do get out of the churn, get out of the day-to-day churn on these projects. It is. And I think that younger people and older people, for that matter, I think we fall down at the beginning of a project by getting everyone in the room and saying, okay, everybody, here's a, like a better term, a formal kickoff for what we're doing, how we're going to do it, and who's going to do it. We lack that big picture approach. Fortunately for me, some of the PMs I've worked on on these big jobs, we've done that. We've had 50 people in a room for two hours and said, here's the whole job, you know, and here's what we're going to do for the next five years. Then you break down to, to the work after that. A lot of times, what I found through the years, is you have other project managers that will just give you your piece of the action. Here's the structural piece you need to be done by next week. And then you never really realize what the big picture is and what your involvement is. Future leaders need to learn how to present the big picture and then let everyone else chime down to their own specific portions of it. All right, Ken, one other approach that I know you like to take and I'd like you to expand on a bit is saying yes to things and then figuring it out later. (laughs) 
I'll tell you that one. When I got into business in 87, I remember for one client in particular, he was an architect, and he walks in my office and he goes, I need a new plotter. So I'm in this back in the HP days, pen plotters. And the plotters are running about $8,000. So we went over it a little bit. And, you know, he said, well, I can go in a magazine and I can order this plotter for $6,500. And at the time, I said to myself, you know, I convinced myself why he was right to spend less because I overanalyze everything. And as an engineer, we tend to do that. Subsequent to that, I just started realizing instead of saying no or trying to rationalize something in your own mind, you just turn around and you say yes. And then you figure it out after. So, like, there have been times when I've been with clients and they've said something. And I just say, well, yes, we can do that. Getting back to that whole confidence thing. Internally, I'm saying to myself, I haven't a clue how we're going to do this, but I already know I'm going to get it done. And it's going to be done right, and it's going to be to our client satisfaction. So you just say yes, you walk away, then you call up your buddies and say, okay, I've just committed to this, I need your help. And it works. It literally works. Because if you say yes, you kind of you share that confidence with your team. Sometimes, yeah, you get caught and they say, gee, you know, why did you make this commitment? Well, I knew because I knew that's what the client needed. We need to figure it out. Honestly, that's one of the main reasons for me that I went into the kind of career coaching realm because of the experience that I had with a coach myself where I realized that I was a pretty motivated person. I get a lot of stuff done and I accomplish a lot of things, but I know when there's someone on the other side of the desk that I'm going to have to meet with like on a regular basis and say, I'm going to get this done next week and come next week, I need to report on that. That commitment and that accountability is such a big part of, like you said, just getting it done. You got to get it done because you've already committed to someone else beyond yourself. Because no matter how motivated you are, committing to something on your own is a lot different than when you actually commit outright to someone else. That's the bottom line. You have to do both. Because if you've committed to your client, you've already internally accepted it. Exactly. And it gives you a super... And a really extra layer of accountability that really gets you moving, like Ken said. And believe me, you feel it because you've already committed and it's exciting at the same time. You're involved with a lot of software. How do you keep current on kind of the state-of-the-art software when everything is changing so quickly in today's world? Another good question. I've always learned that no matter what age you are, Henry Ford once said, anyone who stops learning is old, whether they're 20 or 80. We had a fire protection engineer here who just retired. He was 84. He wanted me to teach him how Revit worked with fire protection plumbing when he was 83. Because he says, hey, Ken, he says, we always joked around. He says, you never know where your next consulting dollar comes from. And it's true. I deal with a number of people that are my age or a little bit older. They're already looking at the, how much longer am I going to work? And those kind of people, you can't teach them anything. They're already retired. They're on their way out, which is unfortunate. I tend to believe that you always should be learning. You should always be aware of all the current software out there, how to use it. Again, using the reverse mentoring, you can have some of the younger people show you things. The hardest part of trying to keep current on software and programs and everything else in your area of work is to literally know what not to look at because you get so much stuff. I mean, I get two, 300 emails a day and half of them are, you know, we've got a seminar for this and a webinar for that you got to kind of weed out the stuff that you don't think you need to know, but you then have to concentrate on the stuff that you need to keep up with. You need to identify what you're best at and keep furthering developing that skill, especially because it's what you love. And then you need to kind of weed out the stuff that you don't necessarily need to know at any point in your career. To me, it's always been a case of 
I'm really good at a few things, and I'm really knowledgeable about the others, but I don't have a working knowledge as such. I know enough to keep people from bamboozling me on certain things. Other things, I'm the expert, and that's going to stay that way through my entire career. All right, Ken, what's uh, one last kind of piece of advice or mindset you might want to touch on here before we wrap up? The last one I want to talk about is what I would say, never giving up. I've seen people, again, my age that are, I'm too old to learn new things. And, you know, those people have given up, which is very unfortunate. I've seen people in their 20s that have given up, too. And frankly, some of them work for my clients in the public sector. We won't go there in this discussion. To me, never giving up means that, uh, you know, your key to happiness is success. And success is not necessarily the key to happiness, but happiness is the key to success. And if you love what you're doing, you will always be successful. And you can't, you go through these times of being somewhat negative and you just kind of like get over it. Or as I always say, I did it last week when I got back on vacation. You got to say to yourself, okay, the pity party is over. You get done. You've got to stop that giving up, stopping that negative attitude thing. And you just got to keep persevering and just keep going no matter what. Ken McCumber, thank you so much for spending some time here to come on the Engineering Career Coach podcast. I think that this idea of being sales oriented is definitely a game changer for an engineer. And I hope that all of you out there will think about how you can sell yourself and your skills a little bit better than you are right now. Remember, when I say sales, it doesn't mean you're going door to door trying to sell something. Like you're trying to go out and get more business, even though that's great. But just the way that you sell your skills can have a huge impact on your career. Ken, thanks so much. Thank you very much. And I look forward to our ongoing communications. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Ken. And because he talked about how being sales-oriented was so important to his career, I want to give you some advice on how to be better at sales. But it's simple advice. It's one simple thing. But before we do that, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you're preparing for the civil PE exam, you probably know that the Civil Engineering Reference Manual by Michael Lindeberg is the book to use. Michael Lindeberg is actually the founder and president of PPI, the leader in FE and PE exam prep. PPI has new prep courses available for the civil PE exam that offer complete coverage of not only the morning breath exam, but also your choice of afternoon depth exams. The course presents over 60 hours of new content and walks you through tons of exam-like practice problems. When you enroll in the live online prep course, PPI also includes on-demand lectures for free, so you can start studying while you wait for the course to begin. Through October 2017, PPI will be choosing two of our podcast listeners per month to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you enroll in this course. To enter the raffle, visit www.ppitopass.com forward slash civil prep. Again, that's www.ppi2pass slash civil prep. From there, you'll need to choose your course and checkout. On the checkout page, enter the promo code PREP and then complete your enrollment. Again, you need to enter the promo code PREP before you complete your enrollment to qualify for the gift card. You'll be notified on the first of the month if you won the $100 gift card. I used PPI for my PE exam prep, so I feel confident in recommending that you check out this prep course. Plus, you could win $100. Good luck. All right, so I just want to give you some quick advice on 
being more sales oriented or being better at sales to kind of wrap up this episode. And the challenge with sales is most of the time when people try to sell, especially engineers, because we were never trained in sales, we try to push the product or service on the person that we want to buy it, right? So you call someone, hey, we're slow right now. We need work. Do you have any work we can do? We're really good at this. I'm the best CAD designer in the world. I'm the best manufacturer or processes in the world as far as streamlining your process. But they don't want to hear that. All they want to hear is what is the benefit that you could provide to them or the value that they're going to get if they were to hire you? So in Ken's case, you might see something like, hey, I'm just wondering if you have any projects that I could help you out with. I focus really hard on helping my clients save time and money by getting their projects done on time and either on or under budget. So when people start to hear that, they start to say, wow, this is great. I want someone who can save me time and money. Let's get on the phone. When can we talk, right? You have to pitch the benefits to someone as opposed to telling them to do something. It was the same thing with like parenting, like with kids. If I tell my kid, hey, it's time to eat your broccoli and kale, they're going to be like, dad, I don't want to eat my broccoli and kale. But if I tell them, hey, listen, you know, if you eat a lot of broccoli and kale, you're going to get really strong. You're going to become the best player on your soccer team. Then they're going to say, okay, well, I want to become the best player on my soccer team. And they're going to eat their vegetables, right? This works. I do this every day. So it's a short and easy take action tip for today. I know you got a lot from Ken. I don't want to bombard you, but I do want to give you that one takeaway. Always pitch the benefits, not the product, not the service. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash Macumber, M-A-C-U-M-B-E-R, Macumber, lowercase. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.